0: journey through john and we've made it to john chapter 8 verse 20 each week we're preaching a different aspect of the nature character and person of jesus christ if we're going to be disciples we're going to be christians we're going to be followers of the lord we need to know the lord need to know everything about him there's a lot of so-called christianity in america that's really just a church culture and not necessarily following the lord making him our master That's our desire through this series of preaching through the Gospel of John that we get to know the Lord more. So John chapter 8, verse 20 says, These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. This hour that had not yet come, we'll see repeated throughout the Gospel of John, is pointing to the day of his crucifixion, the time when he would lay down his life for us. When he began his ministry publicly at the wedding, remember his mother spurred him onward. He said, "What are you doing? My hour is not yet come. You know, don't don't rush this thing, Mama." <laughs> and so he was teaching the temple, and no one dared lay hands on him. But the time would come when they would lay hands on him, when his hour would come. Verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, "I am going away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. For where I go, you cannot come." It says he said to them again, in chapter 7, verse 24, he said those very words, I'm going, you will seek me, and you'll not be able to find me. In John chapter 7, they sent some guards to arrest him, and he held them off by saying, hey, guys, I'm fixing to leave. I'm going to be leaving, and where I'm going, you're not going to be able to find me. And they're like, oh, okay, and they they let him go. And, of course, we know ultimately they did it because his hour had not yet come. I'm going away. You will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. Now, if you don't think very deeply about this, it'll just kind of, okay, they just brought him over. Is he going to kill himself? There was more going on here than just them thinking of him killing himself. Why would that thought come in their mind anyway? He said he's going to leave and he's going to go somewhere where they can't come. They obviously have death on their minds. Is he going to make it easy for us? Is he going to commit suicide? Another thing they may have been doing, they believed that hell was a place they weren't going and that people who committed suicide were people that would go to a very special place in hell and they definitely weren't planning on going there. So for the Lord to say, I'm going where you can't go, they may have been alluding to, oh, you're going to hell. If that's what they meant, the Lord certainly put it on them in verse 23. He said to them, you are from beneath I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, he's not saying you lie, you fry, you burn, you learn. You guys are going to hell and I'm glad about it. I'm going to send you there because you're rejecting me. No, he's saying, hey, guys, I'm your, I'm your way out. And if you don't believe in me, you're going to die in your sins. They're already in their sins, but they didn't realize it, which was part of their sin, religious pride, some of the worst kind of sin there is. Verse 25, then they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. You've been declaring all along who he is, and then they try to throw him off by playing dumb, saying, well, no, who are you again? You know. Verse 26, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. So they no doubt were looking at each other like, what in the world is he talking about? Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Literally, you will know that I am, which points to God. He is implied, possibly. Translators put it there. It's in italics. You lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am. In John chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, As Moses lifted up the serpent on the pole, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. In John chapter 12, he says, If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to Myself. This being lifted up was being lifted up on a cross. This was His crucifixion. Often we will quote that verse, If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to You. Come on, folks, let's lift them up. Let's praise him. But literally in the original usage of that phrase, If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to Myself, was His crucifixion. And 50 days after that event, after His glorious resurrection, The church was born, and 3,000 people from all over the world got saved, drawing all men to himself, began, and it continues to this day. We are here because he was lifted up and drawing all of us to himself. Let's read verse 28 again. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself. But as a father taught me, I speak these things. Basically, he had said earlier, I don't do anything the Father doesn't tell me to do or say anything he doesn't tell me to say. And he who sent me, verse 29, is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. He had no sin in his life. There was no disconnect between him and God. He was connected to the Father 24-7. Living as a man, anointed by the Holy Spirit, there was no blockage in the channel between heaven and earth. He was sinless. But the day would come when on the cross he would become sin and he would taste that blockage and he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But his hour had not yet come. So at this point he could say, he's not left me alone. I always do those things that please them." As he spoke these words, many believed in him. And the Greek language, it could translated, many began believing in Him. Many started out believing in Him. Believing in Him began in their lives as He declared the truth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We ask You to speak to us today. Enable us to hear Your heart for each and every one of us today. Amen. The verse I'd like to focus on today is verse 24. Jesus said, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Two other places, this similar phrase, I am He, is in this chapter. And the word He is in italics because He didn't say the Greek word for He. He simply said, Ego eimi," or I am. I am is one of God's name. God's revealed as, as the I am that I am. He is the great I is. He is The I am. He is the eternally existent one. He's the one that has always been and always will be. He's eternally present. In his presence, there's no past or future. He just is. And that blows our mind. It's not bad grammar. It describes who he is. But also, there's some similar phrases where the translators translated God as saying, I am he. When he's speaking in the first person, he says, I am he. First person and third person in the same phrase. But in those verses, the word and is in italics. He says, I, he. And then he declares something about himself. Beside me there is no other. I, he. This particular reference I want to show you is unique in how it kind of parallels with what he said in John eight twenty four, Isaiah forty three twenty five. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will not remember your sins. Now look at the word even in amor and italics. Literally, he said, I, I, he, who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Only God can talk like this. I, he. I am, we can say I am me, but we can't say I am he. He is the great he. He is Awesome, He is God. And here he promises to blot out our transgressions for his sake and not remembering our sins. It doesn't say I will forget your sins. He says I will not remember your sins. There's a difference in forgetting something and choosing to not remember something. People say, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget it. Well, you've not made a decision to not rehearse it over and over in your mind. When God chooses to not remember something, He does not remember it, not because He forgot it, but because His will is supreme and He willed to not remember something. Sometimes we forget things and then we remember them, right? You ever go to the grocery store, men, and forgot why your wife wanted you to go there for? Let's see, bread. uh, And then you remember Well, God's forgiveness is not like that. What did they do? Oh, yeah, I remember now. No, He wills to not remember our sins. This is good news. Mother Teresa was reminded one time of some offensive thing that had happened to her at the hand of someone. And she said, why are you bringing that up? I distinctly remember forgetting that. So I am He who blots out your transgressions. For my own sake. And Jesus warns him in chapter 8. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Believing in him is essential to having our transgressions blotted out and our sins not being remembered. We don't want to die in our sins. We want to die in him, don't we? So my subject today is Jesus is our sin offering. Can we say that? He is our sin offering. We understand what an offering does. An offering pays for something. If you go to a concert and there's a love offering, it pays for the expenses of that event. If you go to a benefit for a widow or for someone fighting a disease, there's an offering taken, maybe tickets at the door or somehow to help benefit someone else. You see that? Well, Christ gave Himself as an offering, freely, to pay for something, to pay for our sins. See, God is just, and He is loving. If He was only loving and not just, He would not insist on justice. And that would be very unloving, because love without justice is not love. It's stupidity, basically. A government that loves its people but doesn't provide justice for its people really doesn't love its people. God is loving and He is just. And because He is loving, He provided Himself to remedy the justice situation. There is so much that goes on in the world. Jails are full of people that got caught, and the world's full of people that never got caught. Who's going to pay for all this sin? If sin separates us from one another and grieves the heart of God and separates us from Him, what's going to remedy this situation? God, who is just and who is love, provided Himself, sent His Word manifest in the flesh to be our sin offering. He instituted through the prophet Moses a system of sacrifices daily, weekly, every season and every year, special sacrifices to cover men's sins. A system of justice, as it were, to remedy the sin situation that was in the world that grieves his heart. And so, when you came to the priests for the atoning of your sins, the redeeming of yourself from sin's penalties, you brought an offering. And that offering was a living sacrificial animal that would die in your place because all sin ultimately leads to the death sentence. And the lamb would be in your place, the ox would be in your place the turtle dove or the pigeon would be in your place to die and to shed his blood for you. And it had to be done often. Then God sent his son to die in the place of our sacrifice, to become our sacrifice once and for all to remedy the situation. When you brought your animal to the priest, the priest didn't interrogate you. Now, what did you do wrong? Let's see if this is enough. No, the priest examined your sacrifice. Is there any deformities? Is there any blemishes? Any imperfections that would make this animal unacceptable to God's justice? Basically an insult because these animals were pointing to God's Son that was to come. The animal had to be perfect. When we come to God for the forgiveness of our sins... God does not interrogate us for hours and make sure the sacrifice is enough. The sacrifice is enough. Our Lamb is perfect. Look at the Lamb, saints. Is He enough to atone for our sins? And doing more than atoning, which is covering, He redeemed and removed our sins once and for all. He is our sin offering. Just so you know, I'm not the only person in the land preaching this. Here's some well-known preachers proclaiming the same message.
1: Jesus stepped in and took our place and died and shed his blood. That through his death, we would not have to pay the penalty. Though it was us that did the sinning, he paid the price. Jesus died to save us is the short answer. You can go as long as you want in that. But once people realize God's love for humanity, God created us in his image, we broke that image, and the only way to restore that image is through his sacrifice. So there is no way back to God without Christ. Jesus had to die because somebody had to die to cover the price for our sins. The price had to be paid, and I'm so grateful that God loved us enough to send his son to take our place. According to God's law. we sin, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Blood had to be shed in order for sin to be eradicated. In the Old Testament we see uh, that God would uh, find an acceptable or worthy sacrifice. Doves or a bull, um, a lamb, something pure. And one of these sacrifices, then the blood would cover for those uh, who were making the sacrifice. But when Jesus came, He was the spotless lamb. He's the son of God. He was all God, but he was all man. And the Bible says that he took upon himself all of our wickedness, all of our junk, and we became righteous because he became sin for us. And so when he died on the cross, his blood, which was shed, it was once and for all, the Bible says that he canceled the written code. He canceled the law. We had broken the law, but he canceled the law when he died on the cross and he made a public spectacle of it. the Bible says. And so his death It was the only way that we could find eternal life because we had to be reborn again. So when he died, we were reborn.
0: Jesus is our sin offering. And he was thorough in being an offering. He did not just die, but he died in such a way to pay the full price, to bear the full consequences of our sin. In the birthing of sin, the first sins recorded in the first three chapters of the Bible, in that story are eight consequences that resulted as that sin happened. And we live with those consequences every day. The first consequence was death. Before Adam's wife came into being, Adam was warned to not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for the day you eat of it, you will die. Eating of the tree of knowledge of good and evil was a decision to disobey God, determination to live one's life by what one thought was right and wrong. What I think is good and evil is what's going to rule my life. And this is what's happening in the world today. The courts are filled with cases, people fighting it out, duking it out over what's right and wrong because nobody wants God's way, they want their way. Self-centeredness entered into the world. As a result, death became a reality. The day man sinned, he died. Not physically, necessarily, or visibly, but spiritually it happened. Just like you would cut a rose off of a bush and enjoy the beauty of that rose in a vase. Put some water in it. It will last a little longer. But eventually, the death that happened, the day you cut that rose off of its bush, will begin to manifest itself. We have been separated from God. We are spiritually dead, born in sin, shaped in iniquity. The human race is dead, yet it continues to exist but we are dead, separated from God. So Christ came and died in our place and was separated from God for us so that you and I could be united with God. This is the good news. The second thing that happened was when they sinned, they became aware that they were naked. They had been clothed with God's glory. When that sin happened, when the death occurred, when they were separated from God's glory, suddenly they realized they were naked. Christ on the cross was stark naked. They wanted to humiliate him. He was not up there as a painting show with some little loincloth. He was naked. It was embarrassing. He did this for us. Number three, they were affected with fearfulness. They ran and hid themselves from God. Began to make excuses and blame others, blame one another, and blame the devil out of fear. Number four, they gained an enemy. By usurping God's authority over their life, they become vulnerable to the enemy's authority. By usurping God's authority over their life, they become vulnerable to the enemy's authority. Because you see, authority is totally uh, delegated. Nobody just stands on their own. I'm the authority. No, the authority is delegated. Now, the world has some dictators in it that try to be all that they can be, but they're coming down. I mean, just watch the news. (laughs) Dictators are coming down. You only have authority that's granted to you. And so when we rejected God's authority as a race, we lost our authority. And the enemy who has illegitimate authority began to take authority and take advantage of us. This happened as a result of sin. Number five, sorrows became ours to bear. The woman was told that she would bear sorrows and childbearing and that her sorrows would be multiplied. That's not just hard labor in bringing a child in the world but it's a life of sorrow that is birthed into the world when you have children you are more vulnerable to sorrow than you were before you had them because now you're a bigger target for troubles and so this is part of the consequences of sin Christ experienced great sorrow and he faced on the enemy head on thorns came into being in the earth the beautiful rose bush I believe burst out with thorns consequence of the fall separation from God he was crowned with thorns and it may not have been just a wreath of thorns it may have been a hat woven from a thorn bush rather than from a thorny vine sweat we have to work for a living our garden of Eden doesn't just bear crops anymore we've got to do stuff to keep our economy going Christ sweat as it were great drops of blood fully embracing the curse of sin Returning to dust. The most popular person right now, that you may think has it going on, has one destination in the earth. They're going back to the dirt. Back to the dirt.
1: And we'll only live on in memories
0: unless they have a relationship with God. Jesus is our sin offering. One of these things I would like to highlight or look at a little more is number four, our enemy. In Genesis 3.15, the serpent was told, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So this was a promise to the woman and a curse to the enemy. We now have an enemy who's at war with us wants to bring us down, we're creating the image of God. We remind him of his future. The devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. There was this promise that women look forward to for the coming of the Messiah. And he came through the womb of Mary in the town of Bethlehem. But before that time, I wonder how many mamas wondered it. Could my child be the one? Eve certainly did. When her first child was born, Cain, she said these words, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And when he killed her secondborn, it was obvious he wasn't the one. So when she had her third child, named him Seth, she said, I have gotten another man from the Lord. She was looking for the fulfillment of this promise, that her seed would bruise the head of the enemy. I believe this bruising of the enemy's head deals with headship, and headship relates to authority. So the taking away or the bruising of the enemy's authority happened when Christ paid the ultimate price for us, receiving the brunt of all of sin's consequences in Himself when He died for us on the cross. And in crucifixion, you're a bloody mess, you're bruised, you're battered, and you're hanging on a wooden cross until you're dead, and the weight of your body is on three nails, one nail in each hand and one nail through both feet, placing all the weight of your body on the three nails and one heal. This, I believe, points to the crucifixion. Christ is that seed of woman, singular, born of woman, not of a man. His Father was God. To pay the full price Lord, I want to thank you for what you did for us on the cross. I want to thank you for your mercy. I want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you for our sin offering. That we don't have to pay a penny for the forgiveness of our sins. That you have paid it all. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: I pray, Lord, for each person in this room. That they would receive you as a full payment for their sins. Today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Where are you at with God? Are you guilt ridden? Are you punishing yourself? Do you beat yourself up over your past? Do you put other people on probation for their past? Do you punish people perpetually because they hurt you? Do you retain anger in your heart towards someone because of their faults? Jesus is our sin offering. And the beauty of that is it doesn't just remove the barrier between me and God. It removes a barrier between me and my fellow man. May God enable every member of this church to walk in the full joy of knowing Jesus as our sin offering. He's my sin offering. He's your sin offering. He's our sin offering. There's joy in that. It's a beautiful thing. I wrote a poem for last Resurrection Day called My Heart's Refrain. It's the Lamb Himself for sinners slain, giving up for all His glorious fame taking on the human race's blame, carrying fully off my guilt and shame. Redeeming us, Messiah came. Though dead and buried, he rose again, paying off totally our indebted claim. His sinful loss became my righteous gain, gave his life to wash away stains, saving all from evil's gory pains. Finding us, he changed our names. Through his grace, this loser reign. In Christ alone I will remain. Now freed from Satan's full domain, from wicked paths a sinner shall refrain. With helpful grace this promise will sustain. I'll never be the same. May knowing him become your aim and you too never be the same. God loves you so much. He sent his son. gave his best. He gave himself for you and me and us and everyone that has not yet received the benefits of what he's given. Believe that. We don't have to die in our sins and we don't have to live in them because he is my sin offering. Let it soak in. May the strongholds in our lives fall like dominoes in light of this truth. If you're angry about something, you've done all you can do to remedy the situation. Trust Him. The story's not over. The sin offering still works. He shed His blood once and for all. Chuck Colson, remember him? He was part of the Watergate scandal. Wound up founding the Lord. After he got out of prison, he founded a wonderful ministry called Prison Fellowship and was privileged to make a difference in prisons all over the world and helped encourage governments to make their prisons more humane. And he went to a particular prison in South America where he had learned that they had a great uh, effect on the lives of the prisoners to the point that if they ever got out, they'd never came back. And it was a place of peace. It was like there was a spiritual reviving, revival happening. And it had been years since anyone had had to be placed in solitary confinement. So he went and toured this prison. They said, do you have a solitary confinement cell? I always try to do inspections of the prisons that are part that are influenced by my ministry. So they took him to the solitary confinement cell. went through door after door after door, and they went in the inner sanctum of a solitary confinement cell. And they opened the cell and nothing was in there except a crucifix with the naked Christ hanging upon it, wrapped in the white cloth. And the prisoner, the trustee, the convicted criminal that was giving him the tour said, he's in here all the time, doing time for the rest of us. He's in here all the time. Jesus is in solitary confinement all the time, duty time for the rest of us. Now we know He's no longer on the cross. He rules and reigns on the throne. But the reality of His sacrifice was so eternal that it's as though it's happening right now. He did it once and for all, for all time. I need to reach out to that person that really messed up. Since you've been saved, you're really messed up. You were saved, but now you've messed up. Now what are you going to do? You know Jesus died for your sins. That's how you got saved. But now, as a believer, you have messed up. He paid the price for all time, and it's as though He's dying for you right now. And the reality of that. He's doing time for all time for you and I. He's done it. And He lives as our high priest so that we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Because the Lamb rose from the dead as our high priest and He's there to make sure His sacrifice provides all that He died to make it. He suffered too much to let you slip through His fingers. He's not going to let you go. Respond, receive by faith the offering that he provided for all time for you personally.
1: We are excited to announce Generations Church now
0: has two opportunities for attending Sunday services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. This exciting addition to our meeting times enables us to provide more ministry, fellowship, and friendship. So we want you to join us at 9 or 10.30 this Sunday morning and find your new church home with us. Call us at 817-326-5378 or visit generationspeople.org and experience for yourself all the exciting things happening at Generations. That's 817-326-5378 or generationspeople.org. We look forward to seeing you this Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30. Generations Church of Granbury is located at 5718 East Highway 377.